What is going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or it drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. And the Giants have a new general manager. His name is Joe Shane. Talked about him a couple of podcast episodes ago when we were talking about GM candidates. And I told you guys, he was my number one candidate. I'm very happy. I was considering with the new camera, and this is not necessarily a permanent thing because this is my brother's camera. I bought it for him. So on the Boys in the Big Apple podcast, he doesn't have to do the Apple camera. and The Apple camera can really be crappy sometimes. But with that being said, um, Joe Shane was my number one. I don't know what the point I was getting at, but I was considering doing this in the dark. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put some light on because guess what? There's light at the end of the tunnel, Giant fans. And there may not be a lot of attractive names at head coach, but sometimes if you get the personnel correct, some of these retread head coaches can really turn into something. And I'm very happy. Very happy. I'll give John Mara and Steve Tisch the credit. I'm not giving credit to, to uh, Chris Mara because he's John's brother and probably has been a part of the disaster for the last couple of years. But with that being said, credit to Steve, credit to John. They went outside the box. They got Joe Shane. And I said this on the Hubs podcast on Friday night. I feel like Joe Shane has been the GM this whole time. Obviously, not creating cap room and all this. But I feel like he was hired this whole time. And they were just seeing, okay, we obviously have to make the process feel like a process, bring in other GM candidates from the outside and see if anyone would challenge Joe Shane and anything he said in the interview that impressed John Merrin and Steve Tisch. So I feel like those two guys were Ryan Poles and Adam Peters. And I just feel like Joe Shane was the most qualified candidate for the job. I'm very happy for him. He is a Notre Dame fan like me, so obviously if he drafts Kyle Hamilton, we may know where that comes from. I'm just joking. But I'm really excited, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel. So on today's podcast, we'll go over how Joe Shane stands out from other candidates. We'll talk about his resume. We'll talk about some of his draft classes, trades, free agent signings in Buffalo. Obviously, he was not 100% a part of that. Brandon Bean and the scouting system had part in that in Buffalo because Brandon Bean obviously was the GM and still is the GM. And he had some very nice words to say about Joe Shane. I'm not going to go over that, but he basically said nobody works harder than him. Nobody works faster than him. Stuff like that. We'll also go over possible head coaching candidates. And we'll go over possible offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator candidates. Now, I will provide some sort of an update. Obviously, through this cycle, we'll probably be doing the podcast still. There's obviously a timeline in the future probably that this podcast stops for a little bit because I want to do more videos. It seems to get more views. And for the YouTube crowd, the attention span Obviously, he doesn't have to focus on an hour podcast. He can focus on a 20-minute video at most, whatever. But I'm really excited for this head coaching search because me as a content creator, I was not on 
when Joe Judge was hired. I wasn't on before he was hired. I wasn't on how many years ago. So now I get to do the research the way I want to, obviously seeing what other people think. And I just want to give a shout out to two people, and I'll probably shout them out again on the head coaching videos because it's not going to be one podcast where I go over all of the candidates. But I do want to shout out Dan Mitchell. He is a Buffalo Bills content creator. I asked him some stuff about Leslie Frazier, some stuff about Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, Josh Allen, and Brian Dable, who happens to be my number one candidate, by the way. And I also asked Bobby Melendez of Finns Talk from the Dolphins because Brian Flores is a top candidate for the job, knowing that he just got fired. He had two winning seasons in Miami. And with that being said, he's a Brooklyn boy. I think he went to school 15, 20 minutes away from me, maybe closer. I think it was a private school, but he is a Brooklyn boy. So that kind of attracts him to the New York job just a little bit more. But with that being said, let's go into the background of Joe Shane. Obviously, I brought up some stuff a couple of podcast episodes ago. I think it was one or two podcast episodes ago where I was talking about the GM candidates. But let's talk about how he stands out from other candidates. I feel like he was the most qualified this whole time because he built a scouting department with Brandon Bean. They didn't have anybody as scouts. And this isn't a thing that, oh, well, it takes a few months. No, it takes years to do this, in my opinion, because the way he's stepping in right now and the way he stepped in in Buffalo in 2017 You can't just fire all the scouts and say, okay, bring the new guys in. No, because those scouts that were in there in Buffalo and the scouts that are here now, they've been doing draft work for a while. They've been doing draft work for a while, so you can't say, oh, scrap you guys, you know, bye-bye, we'll bring in our new scouts. Some of their research could be very key to the draft. And could Chris Pettit stay this year and maybe go another year it's definitely possible but with that being said it does not excuse these guys being in the building for how many years a lot of them need to be gone Kevin Abrams I don't think he'll be gone because he's a salary cap manager he does manage to get around the salary cap at different times and some of it's been due to personnel issues however he is a lifer in the Giants organization that's not necessarily a good thing Chris Mara I feel like the best thing that can happen to him in our eyes, is, I would say, a lower role. Because on the Giants website and on any resource you use, it says Chris Mara, VP of Player Personnel or VP of Football Operations. And John Mara described Chris Mara's role as, okay, well, this guy mainly just gives advice and gives insight on draft prospects and doesn't do much else he doesn't have more of a say than anybody else in the building it's all equal then why is he the vice president of player operations whatever the case is whatever his role is stated on the giants website and why is he in gm interviews why is kevin abrams not in gm interviews for example i'm not making a case for kevin abrams i'm saying that he's the assistant gm and chris mara is a Mara, so he's in that interview. Doesn't make any sense. But with that being said, he is 
experience, Joe Shane, in building a scouting department, and now he'll get to do it as the general manager. So I'm very excited for that process. I am very hopeful, and I have my sights set that Joe Shane will bring in a lot of good scouting minds. Very hands-on with talking to NFL draft prospects. So obviously... In the last couple of years, there's been a couple of busts in the first round, second round, third round. It always happens. And there's always character issues. Joe Shane is known for being hands-on with talking to draft prospects. There's that one video from 2018 or 2017 where he's going to Buffalo. He's talking to the prospects. He's talking to the coaches about the prospects. He's talking to... The players about, okay, what's your background? How many people do you live with? This, that, and the other thing. What's your job? What do you do? Stuff like that. Just the basic stuff. It's small talk, but it helps. Because, in my opinion, the Giants have not been very hands-on. Obviously, Isaiah Wilson. Screw that idea. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the DeAndre Baker stuff. The Oadigizua and all these other stuff. I think Oadigizua was actually in legal trouble at some point. So that's why I'm pointing to character issues. But before the 2019 draft, there were rumors going around that, oh, well, DeAndre Baker, he's not a hard worker. That a coach literally has to light a fire up his ass for him to do anything. That he wouldn't respond to his trainer's FaceTime calls or stuff like that. And Pat Shermer took the bait and said, okay, we can fix this guy. And Dave Gettleman's like, okay, well, you know, don't tell me anything. If he ends up not working out, if he doesn't do this, that, and the third, that's on both of them. Obviously, I'm not going to bring it up to light too much because I do want to move forward with a positive attitude. I'm not going to stay in the past. I don't live in the past. I don't want to live in the past because it's a very dark past for the New York Giants. But I want to move forward. Unless it's something that really concerns the team moving forward about Gettleman or something like that. I want to move forward. Gettleman's in the past. Joe Judge is in the past. Pat Shermer's in the past. Those guys are in the past. But with DeAndre Baker, the Giants were on, weren't not hands-on enough. And if Joe Shane is very hands-on or if he gets a guy to come in as the assistant GM and he's very hands-on, I think we have a whole new process in terms of the NFL draft year-round. So obviously, Bill Parcells complimented him. And I'm going to read what he said about Joe Shane. And Joe Shane obviously spent some time in Miami. I'm going to go over his full resume before I go over the quote. Ticketing intern with Carolina Panthers. First met with Brandon Bean in 2001. 2002, Combine Scout, 2003 to 2007 was an area scout. National Scout for the Miami Dolphins between 2008 and 2013. He was was hired by Bill Parcells there. Director of Player Personnel for the Dolphins between 2014 and 2016. He left right in time because the Dolphins, obviously, they made the playoffs in 2016, they lost the Steelers in the first round, and then they just went down. Everybody thought, oh, Gase may be the head coach of the future, this and the other thing. So he left at the right time. And ever since, obviously before yesterday, 
he was the assistant general manager with Brandon Bean in Buffalo and all this other stuff. So what did Bill Parcells say about him? If you haven't read it already, he says that I was impressed, meaning Bill, was impressed with Joe because he was a very sharp guy and he had a good thought process when it came to evaluating players. Bill Parcells said that about Joe Shane in 2019. And there are a couple other quotes. I'll read them about the draft and his relationship with Brandon Bean. So Shane says this or said this about his relationship with Brandon Bean. With the Bills, I think Brandon and I are aligned and that we both believe in the draft and building through the draft. It's kind of our Super Bowl, our chance to affect the roster moving forward, not just in 2019, but hopefully on into the future. We understand the task at hand and how important it is. There's not a big margin for error. Brandon Bean on Joe Shane. Instead of rushing to the seat and then trying to figure it out, Joe's that guy that he wants to have all the answers to the test before he goes and sits down. Very few people are like that. There are so many people in this business that are just trying to get into that head coach seat, that GM seat, and maybe they're not ready for it. I have no doubt he's going to be ready for it. He's a great communicator. He understands people. You're not going to outwork him. And I believe this is another quote by Joe Shane. He said, I work with the analytics department. I work with our personnel department, sometimes football operations. I work with our communications. I touch a lot of different departments throughout the building. A lot of my background is the personnel. So watching film, pro, college, draft prospects, free agency, the waiver wire, that's the majority of my day. Apparently, he wakes up at 4.30 in the morning. So that's a very, very prestigious grind. So he also said this. This is a continuation of the quote that I said a couple of seconds ago. But when we got to the Bills, we had to hire a scouting staff. We didn't have an analytics department. We didn't have a scouting system. So early on, Brandon and I did a lot of that together. Grading scale was pretty simple. Like a 7.0 is a first-round pick and a first-year starter who makes immediate impact. So there is that about Joe Shane. He believes... The NFL draft is the Super Bowl. That's what the Giants have been missing over the years. And it's not just, okay, well, this guy's an okay player. He may not be worth the first-round pick, and we've really seen that. Daniel Jones, it's up in the air, but it's most likely not going to work out. That's not really worth the sixth pick. Dexter Lawrence, yes, he's a good run defender. He occasionally can rush the passer. I think he had two, three sacks this season. But he's not a first-round pick worthy of it and he really is not an impact like a first round pick should be and then in the past with jerry reese and all that other stuff but you could say the same about the upcoming uh segment where i'm going to introduce some of the draft classes of the bills where some of these guys really weren't and some of them aren't impacts like they should be but they get all the other stuff right so nobody really concentrates on it plus they, for the last couple of years, have had sustained success in Buffalo, so you don't need to worry about, oh, well, he missed on this guy. Well, they got all their other picks right, so you don't have to worry about that. And I forgot to say this on Kush's podcast last night, and it just escaped me at the time. I'm going to say it now. What really sets a good GM apart from a bad GM or an average GM is not just being the CEO of everything and watching over things. It's when it comes to talent evaluating and drafting, 
oh, well, you know, hitting on the first round picks. Obviously, that's a part of the process. Hitting on those third, fourth, fifth, sixth round guys. Because the NFL is full of injuries, and this guy may be injured, and this guy may be injured. You need to fill up the depth behind them. That's been a problem for the Giants the last couple of years. This year, I honestly thought they had very good corner depth, very good secondary depth. Julian Love, Stephen Parker, some of these other guys. I felt they had the best depth there. Offensive line, no. Running backs, no. Wide receivers, no. Tight ends, no. Defensive line, not really. Linebackers, eventually. Safeties, okay, I'll make the case for that. And that's pretty much it. One or two positions where you have good depth, and that's about it. That's why the Giants went 4-13 in 2021, and the future is bright, and we could only go up at this point with Joe Shane being the general manager. Also, as I noted, he uses analytics, loves looking at players with versatility. He talks about in one interview how you really have to look at players, you have to get players that don't just fit one scheme. And that's been the problem with the Giants the last couple of years. It's because they don't cover, or this guy doesn't do this, or he doesn't play zone. Whatever the case may be, sticking to scheme for players and pigeonholing them, as he said in the one interview, into a scheme really hasn't worked for the Giants. Marcus Golden was traded. A year later, he's a Pro Bowl alternate with nine-plus sacks. Devin Kennard, obviously he's not at the top of the mountain now, but when the Giants let him go in free agency at a seven-plus sack season for the Lions out of all teams, Romeo Quara, he was cut because he didn't fit the 3-4 scheme. He fit more of a 4-3. With that being said, they fit him in in Detroit, and he had a seven-plus sack season. There's a lot of cases about that you can make over the last couple of years, even going back to Jerry Reese. But he talks about how you have to have players that fit multiple schemes. And that's honestly what stands out about him compared to Adam Peters because I feel the 49ers are a very type team where it's about scheme. Running backs and stuff like that, I just feel... Somehow, they're just a scheme type. Ravens defense with Don Martindale. Possible defensive coordinator candidate, by the way. Very type. Very type defense. Obviously, since Matt Judon has left, they have been relying on basically depth edge rushers and Odafe away and a lot of other things. But I feel like the 49ers are very scheme-stricken. They always try to replicate... Shanahan's scheme when they go somewhere else, like Robert Sala and his offense with Mike LaFleur. I think that's his name. I think he is LaFleur's brother. But Mike LaFleur, he's trying to replicate the scheme that the 49ers currently have with the New York Jets. And I don't really see a lot of other teams replicating what Don Martindale had in Baltimore. But I'm just saying, Replicating a scheme is harder than just getting players who are versatile in multiple systems. He talked about in an interview how, what if this defensive coordinator leaves? What if this offensive coordinator leaves? Then you're stuck. What if this offensive coordinator gets fired? That would be a huge problem, in my personal opinion. I'm not trying to say, oh, he would do this in New York. Or, you know, I'm not trying to predict the future. 
But if we got a GM like Adam Peters and then Brian Flores came in or comes in as the head coach and he fires a offensive coordinator because they're not doing the job and they have players who were pigeonholed into his system, I feel like that would be a problem. But with Joe Shane, with his philosophy of not pigeonholing players and getting players that are really good at adapting to other schemes, then, you know, that's what I'm happy for. That's what I'm happy for. Not just the process of evaluating, not just the process of wiping the front office clean, getting players who fit multiple systems. So it's not the end of the world if a GM gets fired, if an offensive coordinator gets fired, if a defensive coordinator gets fired. It's not the end of the world. You can make your judgments probably afterward if a defensive coordinator is fired or, well, I should say, and... Maybe an interim guy comes in and he does better or he does worse or he does about the same based on talent or is it based on coaching? We all knew, in my personal opinion, I thought it was James Betcher plus the personnel, but James Betcher was a really bad defensive coordinator and he was just so scheme strict. If you don't know this scheme, you get the hell out. I mean, some of the guys, they just tossed out the window that ended up succeeding somewhere else. But I'm going to shut up there. So... With that being said, let's talk about some of the draft picks, some of the trades, and all that other stuff. I'm going to take a sip because I have been talking the last 21 minutes, and I know I took a sip before. But with that being said, we're going to go continue. So I'm not going to talk about coaching candidates till later on, and I'm not going to talk about coaches hired because that's the coaching staff. So 2017... In 2017, they just got into the playoffs. Buffalo Bills. They lost to the Jaguars. Tyron Taylor got hurt. Nathan Peterman covered for the rest of the game. I think the final score was 10-3. And the Bills, if I'm not mistaken, I was doing some work earlier and still am doing some work on Leslie Frazier because that's going to be a head coaching video, and I'm really excited for the process of that. But from what I read... And from what I was researching, the Bills really didn't have a good defense in 2017. The offense was not really something to talk about either. It was just the coaching of Sean McDermott that eventually got them in the wild card that they lost. Obviously, I don't know that the expectation was there, but we'll go forward. So, I'll talk about their draft class first. About three guys right now are currently on the Buffalo Bills team that were drafted in 2017. That's more than we have right now. Tredavious White, Pro Bowler. Pro Bowl corner, absolute hit. First round, 27th pick. Zay Jones, wide receiver from East Carolina. He is now a receiver. I don't know if he's a free agent or not. With the Las Vegas Raiders. Obviously, didn't pan out. To some extent, because he was a second-round pick. It's not like he's a sixth-round pick, and then he goes somewhere and has success, but he was a second-round pick. So you do need to hit on those. But with that being said, with the Bills' sustained success, this is not something that's really talked about. Deion Dawkins, starting left tackle from my assumption, but whatever, starting left tackle. He was drafted as a guard originally, and he came out of Temple. Very good draft pick. They didn't pick until the fifth round, so I don't know what the hell happened with the previous regime, with Rex Ryan and all these other cats. They didn't pick until the fifth round. The third round is gone. The fourth round is gone. Fifth round, they select Matt Milano, linebacker out of Boston College. He's still on the team. 
Has not made a Pro Bowl yet, which I'm actually quite surprised in. He's a very good linebacker. So that's a hit. And the next two are misses. Late round kind of guys, mid-round kind of guys, depending on how you classify the rounds. Nathan Peterman, we all know who he was, uh, Peter Meme, as people call him. And then Tanner Vallejo, who later moved on to the Arizona Cardinals and a couple other teams. I don't know if he's still playing in this league. And some departures, I'll talk about draft trades and some other trades in a second. But some departures, they let Stephon Gilmore go. They let Nikel Roby Coleman go. They let Robert Woods go. They let EJ Manuel go. I mean, obviously, he didn't pan out. We all know that. They let Corey Graham go. They let, they let a lot of other guys go. And this is not necessarily, oh, well, you know, they're just being blunt. They're just being this, that, and the other thing. Because they're not their guys, and they wanted to start fresh. They wanted to start fresh. I don't know what the cap situation was for the Buffalo Bills in 2017. It probably was not in a good position. So they likely needed to let some guys walk. And Stephon Gilmore, at least from my prior knowledge, really didn't come to the Pro Bowl type until he hit New England. Then stuff started getting really good. But some trades that they made. So they traded Cardale Jones, a former Ohio State quarterback, to the Los Angeles Chargers for a seventh-round pick. He was a conditional seventh-rounder. Then... They traded Sammy Watkins in a six-round pick for EJ Gaines in a second. Then they traded Ronald Darby and uh, for Jordan Matthews in a third-round pick. Now, Jordan Matthews obviously didn't pan out. Ronald Darby was a former Bills draft pick who later would have some sort of success, win a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles, got an interception off Eli Manning. That's one of my memories about him. Obviously, he plays for the Broncos nowadays. But that third-round pick did turn into a key-quality player. Harrison Phillips was currently still on the Buffalo Bills defensive line. I think he was 2019 or 2020 draft pick. I think he was 2019. No, 2018. 2018, because they would not say, oh, well, Jordan Matthews and Chipman with a 2020 third-round pick. That's stupid of me. Also, they traded, I think he was a former first-round selection, Reggie Ragland. We all know that name. Traded him for a conditional fourth-round pick. Uh, traded him to the Kansas City Chiefs. Reglan actually won a Super Bowl, but was not a starting linebacker. They traded Kayvon Seymour for a conditional seventh-round pick to Carolina Panthers, and they also got Kalen Clay, another giant you guys should probably know about. He was the one who infamously fumbled that football at the end of the Jaguars game in 2018. He lost the game from there. They also traded Marcel Darius for a conditional sixth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. That conditional sixth-round pick later turned into a fifth-round pick, and that fifth-round pick actually turned into uh, Wyatt Teller, who really didn't have much success as a Buffalo Bills offensive lineman, but is a pro bowler, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL now with the Cleveland Browns. And then they also traded a third-round pick, which later turned into Rashad Golden from the Carolina Panthers. They traded... A third-round pick and a seventh-round pick. The other the seventh-round pick became Andre Smith, who actually is a Buffalo Bill right now, for Kelvin Benjamin. And I'm just going to say this. That's not a good trade right off the bat. With that being said, they're lucky it turned into one of their own players and Rashawn Golden, because Golden was nothing special, and he later was a giant. 
then he became a Panther again, and he's been all over the place. So yeah, so they finished that season with a nine and seven record, I want to say, and then they finished 2018 with a six and ten record. So here is their draft class: Josh Allen. We know they traded up for him. They got him out of Wyoming. A lot of people were very mischievous about the pick. Looks like a slam dunk right now. Allen looks like the best passer from the 2018 draft class. And him and Lamar Jackson look like really the only relevant quarterbacks. Sam Darnold, not much in Carolina. Baker Mayfield, egotistical jerk. I'm proud to say that. I'm happy to say that. Come at me. Josh Rosen, snob. And then I'm missing one. I feel like I am. Back of my head. Not going to talk about it right now. So they also had the 16th pick. I'm guessing they also got some comp picks for letting some free agents walk. But with that being said, with the 16th pick, they selected Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech. He's still with the team now. I believe they exercised his option just recently. So he's turned into a good linebacker for them. I don't know if he made a Pro Bowl. Let me see. Because I don't know how good he is. I'm not going to fully research his stats and everything like that. I just want to see if he made a Pro Bowl. So, yeah, he's a two-time Pro Bowler. So, that is a good hit on a first-round pick right there. They don't select until the third round. Harrison Phillips from Stanford. Good player. Good hit in the third round. Taron Johnson, a depth corner. The starters for the last couple of years have been Levi Wallace and Tredavious White. But Taron Johnson also is a nice corner. Saran Neal, who's right now still with the Buffalo Bills, Wyatt Teller we talked about, Ray Ray McLeod, who most recently was the kickoff return and punt return for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, that didn't work out. And then Austin Prohl from North Carolina, that didn't work out either. So I'm going to try to read these draft trades as best as possible. Here's some other trades that happened before I go into draft trades. I know I'm doing reverse psychology here. But with that being said, they did trade Tyrod Taylor for a 2018 third-round pick, which became the 65th overall pick. I think they traded that later in the trade-up or something along the lines of that. They also traded Cordy Glenn, a first-round pick, and a fifth-round pick for the 12th pick and the 187th pick in 2018. This was to the Cincinnati Bengals, and I believe that was used in the trade-up Something like that, whatever the case may be. So the 12th pick, they didn't have the 12th pick. I guess it became the 16th pick, whatever. With that being said, they also traded a 7th round pick for Corey Coleman on August 5th. So that didn't work out, but it was a conditional 7th round pick, I think. But 7th round pick, I mean, unless it's a total star, you're not going to really reflect on that. And then they also traded A.J. McCarron to the... Then Oakland Raiders for a fifth-round pick. So that's not a bad trade, especially for a backup quarterback. So they really wiped the system clean. I think Matt Barkley was one of the backups that they did end up signing uh, to back up Josh Allen and a couple other guys. With that being said, uh, I just want to make sure I'm getting everything right here because one thing says one thing, one thing says the other thing. So they actually did sign McCarron in free agency and then traded in him in September. So that's interesting to me. So they traded the 12th pick, the 53rd pick, and the 56th pick for the 7th round. 7th round. Well, it is a 7th round selection. It was the 255th pick. And the 7th overall selection used to select Josh Allen. 
and the Bills traded their 22nd, their 65th to the Ravens for the 16th pick, which became Tremaine Edmonds, and the 154th pick, obviously, we don't know what those turned into, but right now for the Bills, it looks positive because of Tremaine Edmonds. Obviously, I mentioned the Cordy Glenn trade, the Buffalo Bills trade, their selection, the first round selection in 2017, 10th overall to the Kansas City Chiefs, that was the trade-up for Patrick Mahomes, and the Bills got the 22nd overall selection and the third round pick, uh, a couple of them in 2017. Just remarking on that, they traded Sammy Watkins to the Rams for EJ Gaines. Already touched upon that. Traded Cardell Jones, touched upon that. And they also apparently traded their seventh round selection for Lorente McCray. But what I looked up, apparently he did not play with the Bills in 2000. And, what was it? 2016 or something like that? It's all messed up. Some of these sources and some of these websites are really garbage. But, um, so that's pretty much 2018. Uh, Josh Allen obviously had a rocky rookie year, and a lot of people were starting to dawn on him. And that obviously was not a good thing, but rookie struggles are rookie struggles. That's why you have to give a quarterback more than one year to develop. And that was the first year, I want to say, of the Dable system because before that they had another offensive coordinator and he left for something, and then they hired Brian Dable, who the year before, I want to say, was the tight ends coach in New England, which obviously brings up the scenario of Patrick Graham possibly coming back. I'm not going to say he will, but that's going to come up with the head coaching and the defensive coordinator vacancies and the offensive coordinator as well. So 2019... They went 13-3, and if I'm not mistaken, and here is their draft class. So they ended up trading up for Cody Ford. They traded the 158th pick and a couple other picks to get Cody Ford at 38. And he, in my opinion, really hasn't worked out. He's more of a depth tackle now because they did sign Daryl Williams, I think it was a year and a half ago. Spencer Brown also was a nice pickup in the third round this past year and a couple other offensive linemen rotate in. So Cody Ford really hasn't worked out to the, uh, I would say, hype of the 38th pick. But with that being said, they don't leave it for two years or three years or four years and let no depth happen or whatever the case may be. They drafted Spencer Brown, and Spencer Brown obviously was a good role player for the Bills this year. They don't wait how many years and say, okay, well, now right tackle's an issue. No, they draft, they build through the draft. Uh, going back to the ninth pick, Ed Oliver, obviously very impactive de defensive lineman out of Houston. Has he made a Pro Bowl yet? He was on the all-rookie team, and not many accolades yet, just the all-rookie team. Uh, with that being said, I think he's starting to prove very slowly. I'm going to take a look at his stats real quickly. I think he's starting to prove very slowly that he is worth the selection. Right now, he had four sacks in 2021, five sacks in his rookie year. So I guess it's yet to be determined. And they also have to rotate Harrison Phillips, Carlos Basham, all these other guys in there. So, I mean, I'll ask a Bills fan about that one because I'm – not trying to make any assumptions here. Devin Singletary, I know a lot of people were down on him, but I think he really boosted his 
game this year because Zach Moss was inactive a lot of games, and there were games where it was either blowouts or Josh Allen was just not getting the ball put in his hands enough by the offensive coordinator. Whatever the case may be, Devin Singletary, I believe, upped his game this year, and he was a big part of that offense. He really was because a lot of people were questioning, oh, is Zach Moss going to take the place of Singletary in year two? Well, obviously he didn't. Dawson Knox, tight end out of Ole Miss. Obviously, we know a tight end out of Ole Miss already, Evan Ingram. But Dawson Knox, obviously, he's a good blocking tight end. He really had a nice game against the New England Patriots in the first round of the playoffs. Good pick right there. Voshan Joseph, fifth-round pick out of Florida. I don't think he's on the team anymore. Let me check that out real quickly. Yeah, he was a bust he was a bust but with that being said that's the fifth round and once again you really don't remark upon that stuff unless teams are constantly bad in the draft so Jaquan Johnson let me just look up the Buffalo Bills draft class and I have to keep going back and forth and back and forth Jaquan Johnson uh safety out of Miami looks like he's a reserve safety as of right now, I guess that's what you want in a six-round pick. Seventh round, they selected Daryl Johnson, defensive end out of North Carolina A&T Aggies. So uh, he's on the Carolina Panthers now. So obviously that pick didn't work out, but it's seventh round. You're not going to bank on seventh-round picks always. And Tommy Sweeney is still on the team as one touchdown in his career. They selected him out of Boston College. So obviously some misses some key depth pieces and you're not going to aim for a quarterback or a prominent position you're aiming for depth positions at the later round so i might say this now and joe shane fills the next three drafts hopefully that doesn't happen hopefully so they also actually traded up for dawson knox fun fact so here are the some of the guys that they let go they let go of jordan mills who was a decent tackle they let go of Logan Thomas. They let go of John Miller, who ended up signing a big contract with the Cincinnati Bengals. And they let go of Charles Clay, who really wasn't much after the 2018 season. Went to the Cardinals, and I think he retired from there. So some of the guys, they did sign in free agency, and I think this was probably their most prominent free agent class. Cole Beasley, slam dunk right now. John Brown didn't really pan out. He... Last time I checked was with the Raiders, I want to say. I just want to make sure of that. I know I've been typing a lot. He, obviously, it doesn't give me the John Brown that I want. But John Brown was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers recently, so that did not pan out. He stayed with the Bills until 2020, and then he was cut by them probably to save some cap space. Let me go back to my doc. Frank Gore was signed. And then Mitch Morse was also a key signing. Works out. Uh, he was signed for about $11 million a year at the time. John Feliciano, solid guard. Ty Nisecki was signed for a year. He was a solid tackle. Still is a solid tackle. He's 36, and he's still parading around the NFL as a backup tackle. And then Tyler Croft uh, from the Cincinnati Bengals really didn't work out in the long run, but he was signed for, what, $6 million a year? That's nothing compared to some of these other tight ends that are getting the money. So, with that being said, go to 2020. Let me remark upon some things about the draft, about the draft trades. The Bills traded Russell Bodine to the New England Patriots 
for a sixth round selection. Obviously, Bodine, I don't think, was a good lineman for the Bills. Really wasn't a good lineman before that. He was before the he was with the Bengals before and then went to New England. Really hasn't been much since. Really hasn't been much in his career. But with that being said, that's where one of their picks comes from that they actually traded to the Vikings. And they also traded another pick to the Vikings. Why can we talk about the Vikings so much? Because they got Stefan Diggs. Yes, they got Stefan Diggs from the Minnesota Vikings. The move that, in my opinion, really changed their offense. The Bills traded their first, fifth, and sixth round selection in 2021 for Dane Jackson. Would later be Dane Jackson. It was a seventh round pick out of Pittsburgh. And Stefan Diggs. Obviously, we know how that turned out. Obviously, we'll have to look at the Vikings, uh, you know, first-round pick and stuff like that. I think one of them was used to draft Justin Jefferson, which obviously has panned out for them. They're going under new uh, coaching changes, new front office. But with that being said, it's worked out for the Bills. So I don't know that you're going to give two shits about what the Vikings are doing. If your team's succeeding, you're not going to care what the other team is doing. It looks like the Bills, right now, even giving up those draft picks, they are still in the better position on this day. So they also traded Wyatt Teller in a seventh-round pick for a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round selection. So they traded one of those picks to the Vikings, and they also selected Tyler Bass, who... Honestly, could be a pro bowler in the long run if he isn't already because he's been a solid kicker. Yeah, he was not a pro bowler the last two years, but I think he's a solid kicker. It's a fifth rounder. That was after they cut Steven Hauschka or Steven Hauschka retired, but the case may be. So they obviously did right on that. Let's go over the draft class in total. Uh, let me see if I missed anything else. They also got just to add. Actually, no, that's next year. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna worry about 2021. And when I'm reviewing, reviewing 2020, I'm sorry for mumbling and jumbling. With that being said, first round we obviously know they traded the Vikings. Second round pick really hasn't worked out thus far, at least from my research. Defensive end out of Iowa, he was projected to be a top four, top five pick. Really hasn't worked out for that. AJ Epineza. And then you go to Zach Moss, running back out of Utah. Really had a Good rookie year. People thought he was going to overtake the spot from Devin Singletary. Didn't happen this year. I picked him up in fantasy. And obviously that was a mistake. Fourth round selection. This one is a one that I really like. Gabriel Davis, wide receiver out of UCF. He was, I think in the games that I watched the Buffalo Bills, he was dangerous. He was dangerous. Uh, nice number three guy because you have Diggs. You have Cole Beasley. Gabriel Davis is also there as well. So they selected Jake Fromm. We all know Jake Fromm in the fifth round out of Georgia. Didn't work out. Tyler Bass already mentioned. Isaiah Hodgins. We just get that right. Isaiah Hodgins, wide receiver from Oregon State. He's still with the team. I don't think he has any statistics. And with that being said, just a normal six-round pick that is trying to stay on the roster. He was on the practice squad this past year and then got uploaded to the active roster on some occasions. And then Dane Jackson, cornerback from Pittsburgh, as we mentioned already. Kind of a special teams guy, but he's played some meaningful snaps, signed a futures reserve contract 
just recently. And actually, no, it was last year he signed a reserve futures contract. I think he's on the roster right now. Let me check. Apologies for the intermissions, but yeah, he is on the active roster right now with Jaquan Johnson and a couple other guys, so he's playing a key role in terms of depth and special teams for them. So that is that in terms of 2020. Go to 2021. They received a fifth-round comp pick. Actually, no, it wasn't a fifth-round comp pick. My mistake. It was a fifth-round pick in a trade uh, for Zay Jones from the Las Vegas Raiders. That turned into Tommy Doyle, who caught a touchdown in the playoffs, I believe, a week ago, two weeks ago almost. So there's that. Uh, Once again, drafting those O-linemen. Two tackles in a row they went. They went Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. They also went... Tommy Doyle, as I mentioned, out of Miami, Ohio, the same college that Ben Roethlisberger came from. They also traded a seventh, uh, they didn't trade a seventh round pick, once again, mumbling. They traded Marshall Newhouse to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional seventh round selection. Now, doesn't mean that all these trades happened in 2021, just when those picks were meaningful. So, obviously, it meant that Carolina gave them a pick that was for 2021. That's what I'm talking about in all this stuff. So, Gregory Rousseau, 30th overall. I'd say say he's worked out this far. Obviously, he's got a few years to go. A lot of people were pushing him into the second round. But with that being said, four sacks on the year, you really can't complain about that. Then you have Carlos Basham, Boogie Basham. Another pick that seems to hit so far, two and a half sacks, three quarterback hits, four tackles for a loss in the season, and a total of about 39% of the snaps on defense. So that's not all bad. It's not all bad, obviously. They got time to grow in that area, and they already have a successful foundation. Spencer Brown, already mentioned, played right tackle a couple of snaps this year. I think he's been a key role player for them. Tommy Doyle mentioned that already. Marquez Stevenson. Let me look him up real quickly. As I said, I'm doing this on the fly, so I apologize if I'm doing this on the fly and it's distracting or whatever. But he is their main return man. Maybe their second return man. Don't have much research into him, but seems like he's working so far. Jack Anderson, he is somewhere else, I believe. Jack Anderson is with the Eagles. He is currently on their active roster. He was selected in the seventh round. Rashad Wild Goose, weird last name, but the Jets picked him up this past season, stashed him on their active roster. They still have DeMar Hamlin, the safety from Pittsburgh, which is the final pick we'll talk about. And he's on their active roster, six-round pick. So most of this draft seems to be very impactful. I'm not going to make a case right now which draft is impactful, which draft is not impactful, but it seems like they hit on a lot of picks it seems like they miss on a couple of picks on occasion too, but it's not, oh my God, it's going to affect you right away. They know when to draft over somebody. Cody Ford didn't work out maybe the first year, second year. They drafted over him. They got Spencer Brown. They got another backup in Tommy Doyle that seems to be working out thus far. So overall on the Bills process, I can't complain. I personally cannot complain about the Bills process. And once again, yes, they may miss on Tyler Croft. They may miss on A.J. Epineza. 
But look at the defense. Look at the overall process. Look at the team. Look at the building. It's working. And you're not going to reflect on a missed second-round pick or a missed free agent that much if your team has sustained success for the long run. With that being said, let's get into our final subject. We'll talk about head coaching candidates. Just going to name some off. And then we'll talk about offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator candidates. Obviously, that's a stretch right now because we don't even have a head coach hired. But with that being said, I'm going to take a sip real quickly. Let's talk about four guys that the New York Giants already have interested. And with that being said, two of them have already been interviewed. One is probably going on as this is premiering, or it's going to go on later, whatever the case may be. So they interviewed Dan Quinn already. They interviewed Brian Dable on Friday. Today is supposed to be the interview of Leslie Frazier. And eventually, Brian Flores is supposed to be interviewed. And I think they have interest in Todd Bowles. Don't get me hooked on that. Don't necessarily say, yo, Alex said it as a confirmed source. No. I think they have interest in Todd Bowles. I feel like somebody said that. But with that being said, let's rattle off some other names on the list. Eric Bieniemy, uh, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mike Zimmer, former Vikings coach. Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. Jonathan Gannon, defensive coordinator of the Eagles. Josh McCown, the former Jets quarterback. Jack Del Rio, the current Washington football team defensive coordinator. I don't think he's going to pursue another head coaching opportunity because he's already been hired twice. Patrick Graham. We know the situation with him. Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. Daryl Bevel. Two years in a row, you think about it, he's been the interim head coach. That just shows he's not hired by correct organizations or he's that shitty where they're going to take shitty. I mean, he was the interim head coach last year. As in, I'm going back to 2020 when Patricia was fired. And then this past year, he was the interim head coach for Urban Meyer, that piece of shit. So, I don't know. I'm not going to trust Daryl Bevel anyway. One guy that I would like to see interviewed is Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. But with that being said, I feel like he actually might get the Bears job because I believe they requested to interview him a second time. Luke Getze, quarterback coach of the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, Joe Lombardi, offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Chargers, Jim Caldwell, the former Colts and Lions head coach, Mike McDaniel. I feel like he's way too inexperienced, needs to get another few years of coordinating under his belt. He's only 38 years old, but he is the current offensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. Josh McDaniels, I don't want to touch him with a 10-foot pole. With that being said, he is the Patriots offensive coordinator. Demeco Ryans, the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Same thing with Mike McDaniel. Like Demeco Ryans, he needs to be way more experienced. Gerard Mayo, the current linebacker coach for the New England Patriots. Apparently, he's generating interest in Denver and in Las Vegas. Kevin O'Connell. Former Washington offensive coordinator, currently the offensive coordinator 
for the Los Angeles Rams. Nathaniel Hackett, current offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, and Jim Harbaugh. I don't really want him, but with that being said, he is currently the head coach at Michigan. So I'm just going to name off my top four, maybe. Honestly, I haven't done too much research into the other guys yet. And I'll briefly describe the situation I would like to happen. Obviously, I'm not any chief evaluator or anything where I get a say over anybody else. Brian Dable is my number one candidate, and I would normally go against the hiring a offensive coordinator that calls plays as a head coach. And what I'll say is, yeah, Ben McAdoo didn't work out and Pat Shermer didn't work out either. But we have a new GM now. And if he gets the talent on the field, I don't think we'll worry a second about what Brian Dable is doing as the head coach in terms of play calling or not play calling. Brian Flores, I liked his defenses in Miami. That being said, way, way, way too many coaching changes on the offensive side of the ball year after year after year. We'll talk about that in a separate video because I've done a lot of research on him. Leslie Frazier didn't really do good as a head coach. I feel like he's just a coordinator at this point in his career. We'll see if the Giants give him a shot. And Todd Bowles, you kind of make the same thing. Same case, really. Um, I feel like he should get another head coaching job with good personnel. With that being said, I don't think it should be with the Giants because I feel like he was a church mouse with the New York media, and I don't think the New York media is going to really take lightly to that. With that being said, overall, Brian Dable's my number one. I don't really want to go after a retread head coach. Basically, what that means is a head coach that's looking for a second or third opportunity, one who's been a head coach before. And Kellen Moore, could he be on the list? Sure. Jonathan Gannon, I think he needs more experience. There's a lot of other guys that need more experience on this list. But as we get closer to next week, I will have a few list of candidates that I want. Brian Dable's my number one right now. And then in terms of possible OCDC candidates, Ken Dorsey's definitely an offensive coordinator candidate because he is the quarterback's coach for the Buffalo Bills, working under Brian Dable. Brian Flores, in my opinion, could be a defensive coordinator candidate if he just wants to come home, but obviously there's other head coaching opportunities. Vic Fangio, Maybe he goes for another head coaching opportunity, but he could also possibly go to the Baltimore Ravens because he worked one year under John Harbaugh as a defensive assistant in 2008. So maybe there's a little bit of a connection there, not too much, but possibly if he doesn't go to the Ravens, maybe he comes to the Giants, 3-4 system, experienced defensive coordinator, and successful too. Patrick Graham, we know the situation with him. Brian Dable was the tight ends coach in New England, and... Patrick Graham was a defensive assistant. That being said, maybe some sort of New England magic connects them and he stays in New York. I wouldn't mind that, me personally. And then two more. Wink Martindale, he recently got fired from the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator job. It's going to be interesting to see who they go after. Defense really underperformed this year and they were forced to go with a lot of backups. That's why it didn't succeed. Normally, that would work for them, but just way too many guys injured. It wasn't their year. Just basing it off of a casual standpoint. And then one more, Clint Kubiak, offensive coordinator, Minnesota Vikings. They're undergoing coaching changes. So maybe Kubiak just jumps ship 
He is the son of Gary Kubiak, the former Super Bowl champion, head coach for the Denver Broncos. I think last year, the year before, he was actually the offensive coordinator for one year, and then he stepped into the Vikings front office as a consultant. But with that being said, Clint Kubiak also is a candidate to watch out for. So that's pretty much it, guys. Like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops video drops. Appreciate you all coming back. Trying out the new camera, obviously. This is not going to be a permanent thing. I'm going to go back to my old old camera some other time. Just testing this out because, obviously, my brother's from Boys and McApple. That's obviously every Tuesday at 8, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Talking sports like usual. Having some funny moments. I have a guest on this week that we'll re- we will reveal. I can't talk. That's why I'm going to end this now. Uh, that will re... I can't talk. Anyway, we will reveal that guest on Tuesday. I think he's very exciting. Knows a lot of the teams that I know. And he's very funny. Met him in person. He's a real funny guy. Twinville, obviously, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, premiering on Wednesdays on the NYY News TV YouTube channel. So peace out, guys. See you later. Stay cool. And let's go, Giants. Let's keep moving forward.